Incoming transmission. The Klingon word of the day is Paul. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. So, this is a huge victory for the good guys. Scotty, beam me up. Resistance is futile. Live long and prosper. and welcome to the computer resume podcast the show covering the entire star trek franchise in chronological order for fans new and old i'm your host writer comedian mr todd a davis if you're out of order he could probably help you with that from the penske file it's west teasdale yay hello hello. hey Hey. thank you for having me on the podcast oh thanks for carving out some time man i'm sure you probably uh like me, have your hands and schedule full. <laughs> I do. You you have a you have a tremendous scheduling apparatus here, though, with your, your notes and the sort of calendar invites. I'm like, oh my god, this is a this professional business that I'm stepping into. I I absolutely have to do it that way. I've taken too many shots to the head over my lifetime to, to remember it. That's why I get my anniversaries <laughs> tattooed on my arm, <laughs> so I don't have to remember anything. <laughs> no, it's good. It's it's uh this is this is the the high life, I guess, that I'm living. No, we, we don't, we don't have, I guess I only deal with, uh, I don't deal with guests on my podcast. So it's much easier when it's just one person to remember that we get together every Tuesday and Friday. Just remember that and be there at eight 30 or whatever. Nice. Yeah. You do your stuff live? Live in what sense? We I mean, record. We, we, do a okay. we don't, we don't, we're not in the same room. Uh, and we just record over the internet. Like, this. Oh, okay. I didn't know if you did like a live podcast via like youtube or something like that no we don't we, we put it up uh up, put it up on youtube but we don't do live streams for the podcast itself nice. i guess we could it's it's one of those once you start down a path of doing things one way you can't change at that I point know. otherwise it, it ruins yeah. the whole thing well i recently uh for a friend of mine who's looking to start her own podcast i actually sat down and pulled up like a microsoft word you know just a document to like write down each step of like everything i do and i was like Sure. Oh, wow. So much of this has become second nature. <laughs> and it's, having... it's, yeah, it's more complicated than you'd expect. We had, we had friends who were like, how do you start a podcast? It's like, I'll write out some instructions. And it's like, oh, it's actually, maybe it's gotten easier at this point, but I'm still stuck in an old fashioned way of using like old hosting and old everything. It's like build your own website and stuff like that. So it, it gets complicated. If it ain't broke, point, it's like, just put it, If it's not broke, yeah, just put it on YouTube. <laughs> so that's my <laughs> suggestion. It's easier. Just stream it on YouTube and it'll be fine. Everyone yeah. will watch it there. Yeah, it seems like a good way to go. There's a bunch of uh, there's a bunch of comedians that I follow that most of their podcast. I don't know that I've ever listened to just the audio of their podcast. I only yeah. I only know it from YouTube. But yeah, I mean, it's yeah, different platforms for different things. And like, ugh. I try to get, try to sync everything up so I only have to put it in one place and it just <laughs> sends it everywhere else. <laughs> just start a TikTok channel, start a TikTok account, and do do whatever jokes happen there, and get some sixteen year olds to watch a show, and you'll be you'll be the future of entertainment. There you go. I've I've been I've been wrestling with the idea of like, should I start a TikTok? I probably could for just silly Star Trek things between like just me and then me and the wife or me and the dog. You know, because we've got him, we've got him one of those uh, little uh, science officer jerseys. 
Sure. But we also got him the Yoda quiet ears. So I'll put yeah. both of those on and it just <laughs> so adorable. Um, Listen, I don't want to sound like, old, I mean, we're about to talk about Star Trek. So sounding like old men is inevitable, but it's, um, I just don't get TikTok humor. I don't really understand what there's, the Zoomers came along and they changed comedy forever, I think, in, in, in a way that I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? Like what, what, everything is a, a meme off of a meme, off of a reference, off of something that they saw in pop culture. And it's like, yeah. I, I don't even understand the original reference. What are they talking about? So <laughs> who's the, who's the greatest Zoomer comedian at this point? Is there a stand up oh Zoomer? God. Well, I mean, see, because did have you done stand up? Are you a stand up? No, no. Okay, I did stand up for uh, probably three or four years before the pandemic hit, and then um, got back into it after that first wave, and then that's when I caught COVID. So yeah. I promised the wife no more clubs or anything until they this took out your funny movie. bone. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. So, uh, but a bunch of my friends have done um, Zoom shows and to varying degrees of success, but like, I just can't figure out how to take the material for stage and translate it into, I'm sitting in my office wearing headphones, talking into a mic that I'm not holding, you know, You're right. yeah. and yeah, the, the rhythm and the whole vibe is different. I'm like, man, it took me so long just to get, you know, traditional standup down. I don't change the formula now. But that, only, that would only really work for like Stephen Wright type comedians where it's like entirely wordplay based and it's not really dependent on any kind of energy or anything like that. I, I can't imagine because um, everything's just 50% less funny on Zoom, I think, automatically. Yeah. <laughs> like you're, you're, you're dealing with a stack deck in the first place. Yeah, you got to work so much harder for it to be funny, especially, I mean, comedians are used to like that immediate, you know, that immediate feedback of either you know, silence, booze, or laughs. That's pretty much what you get. Sure. Uh, but yeah, for it to go to Zoom and just have it be this is, you know, I talked with someone who was like, oh, all you have to do is make it more conversational. Like mm -hmm. some of these thoughts are pretty wild in and of themselves. They barely work on stage. I don't know that I can translate that to a conversation. No, there's, <laughs> well, there's this other thing too, that's like, the podcasting is shown acting, I think is the same way. And I'm sure stand-up comedy is the same where um, what you think is like normal energy does not translate to normal energy once it's recorded and played for somebody. Oh, and if yeah. you listen to like a lot of new podcasts, a lot of new podcasts are just like two dudes having a conversation. And it's like a good podcast has to be a little bit more performative than that. Like the energy has to keep going. You have to keep, you have to keep going, keep rolling right. with it. Like don't stop. Just keep, it's kind of improv -y in that, in that sense. It's like a yes and kind of situation. Very much. But um, yeah. that's the, I, I think that just works across the board. That's what zoom kills is it kills that energy. And I think that it's like important for if people are considering starting a podcast about Star Trek, uh, don't because I have limited audience as it is. And I appreciate you do some other topic, but if you do keep your energy up and just keep going, really like don't yes. do the conversational thing. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Well, um, speaking of Star Trek, I wanted to ask you, because when I was first uh, thinking about doing a podcast covering Star Trek, I was like, oh man, I'm going to have to go through and figure out the order for everything. And then I stumbled across uh, the Star Trek chronology project and they directly reference you guys. Are you yeah, guys? I think, I think Jason, I think, is it Jason? Is that Jason's thing? We have a patron and a listener named Jason who I, I think made that or something like that. I think he's involved somehow. If okay. not, I'm giving him credit that he doesn't deserve, but he's a good guy. So I'll give it to him <laughs> anyway. He, he mentions us on the website. I, yeah. If you go to like um, Star, Star Trek chronology project, I think it's a, I think it's actually like a blog spot. Um, sure. But yeah, uh, in some of the things that he references, he references you guys. And um, 
That's that was the basis for my schedule. I pulled that entire thing and then put it into a Excel file and added probably a dozen other columns to fill yeah. out the information. So I have this one spreadsheet that's just massive. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's essentially my entire schedule at a glance. Um, oh, I, I, I guess I have to thank Jason then. I'm pretty it, sure it's him, but, if, but thank you very much. Yeah. If you find out, if you find out if it is him, like send him my way. Cause I'd love to interview him as well. <laughs> sure. Sure. He's a good guy. I'll, I'll definitely, I'll, I'll link up with him and see if that's the case. Interesting. But you, but you, yeah, that listed you up chronologically, which is the basis for your podcast. Schedule. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it sort of mixes in, uh, you know, we go almost all of enterprise and then it jumps to discovery for the most part. And then uh, it's those first two seasons of discovery. And then we don't see discovery again for (laughs) a long time, (laughs) (laughs) Um, which, which I can't figure out how that's going to play with the podcast because we'll be watching something and then Michael Burnham's just going to burst through the sky and land and be like, scan for life forms. Life forms do, you really have 20, yeah. do you remember this woman when we did this 20 years ago when we talked about her? <laughs> have you have you ever seen, uh, have you watched the series through chronologically like this before? Have you, uh, have you ever watched the series all the way through or are you like fluent in Star Trek to the point where you've seen everything? I've seen, I would say, I think I've seen like 95% of sure. everything that's out there. That. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not judging. It's just I'm I'm probably like, you know, I, I, I've seen a smattering of Voyager, which we have left. I hadn't seen all of DS9 when we covered it. I've never watched Enterprise, which is what we're currently doing. So it's like I'm not um, I don't think there's some sort of level of expertise, but it's curious to see how, what people know when they start these things. You know, the very first episode that I put out, which was kind of like the mission statement for the show was like, hey, no gatekeepers. The only requirement that I have for people to be on the show is that you're kind of into Star Trek. And that sure. you and that you watch the episode we're talking about, and that's pretty much it, man. Like, um, were we supposed to watch an episode for today? <laughs> but, uh, was, I just I sat down and watched uh, a better. T- I watched Star Wars. <laughs> I had fun with that. It's great. It's a really good one. I, I yeah. yeah, Star Wars, absolutely. <laughs> so I, and I watched the Last Jedi just to annoy everybody who's like, oh, oh god. <laughs> I you know I recently had I recently had a few people who were like. This is the first Star Trek thing I've ever watched. Oh, so yeah, sure. it's been. You started them with Enterprise. You're like, watch some Enterprise. Well, so when I told some fun. of my friends who are big Star Trek fans, I was like, oh, we're going to cover the entire franchise. And they're like, so you can get Enterprise out of the way first. I was like, mm. <laughs> yeah. So talking about personal experiences with Star Trek, were you into it as a kid or when did you make it around to the franchise? When, when it was like, oh, Star Trek. Sure. So I'm 30 eight right now um and so that means i was the tng generation basically of course it would have come out when i was five or four i think at that point mm-hmm. i did not watch it at that point my memory of it is that my maternal grandfather was really into it and it used to be on at all weird times of the day so when i was staying with my grandparents it would be on at like dinner time at like five or six you'd see it on some <laughs> station and he would watch it while eating dinner and one of my memories of that is that he used to always watch it. And I, I got into it through that. But he used to sit there while we were watching it. And he would make me say engage to like mimic uh, Patrick Stewart's uh, delivery of the line. Nice. His accents and everything. 
and say engage, you say no, say it a little bit different, and say engage, you say no, put a little more there, and being engaged, and say, no, it's like, oh my God, like, what can this guy like get off my back? It's only now looking back as an adult, I realized he was drunk and was just nodding. <laughs> you know, was having, I was having a hard time either hearing what I was doing or just like being the annoying drunk guy who's going to make me say the thing over and over again. But that's like my defining memory of it. So I watched TNG all the way through. I burned all the DVDs. I used to fall asleep during like high school uh, with those on and just nice. sort of endlessly rewatching them. I was familiar with DS9 and Voyager. Um, watched more DS9 than Voyager at that point. And I was familiar with TOS and the movies, really. So I was not familiar with Enterprise uh, any of the modern treks, obviously, that came out. I was not familiar with like 90% of Voyager, 60% of DS9, and stuff like that. So, mostly a TNG guy. Although, uh, my pers- the, the podcast has really fleshed out how I feel about this series, where I'd now say that like TNG is the best Star Trek show and DS9 is the best television show of the franchise so that's, okay. that's kind okay. of how I, I would look at it based on based on what because i'm interested in in that comparison uh tng is the most star trekky so if someone is like i've never seen star trek what should i watch i wouldn't say ds9 because i think ds9 is almost meta commentary on the franchise like ds9 is commenting on what star trek is and it's making something else out of it okay um, it's still a star trek show but it's, it's a different kind of thing tng is just a modern version of tos and it's just like it if people are like, what is Star Trek? I would say watch a TNG episode. If they're like, I want to see the best television show that has Star Trek characters in it, I'd say watch DS9 because that's the best product uh, altogether, I would I would argue anyway. That's cool. Yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't, hadn't thought of it that way. I've always just kind of lumped TNG, DS9, and Voyager together as like the TNG era. Um, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, it seems like there was the TOS, which was essentially the original series and the animated series. Yeah, I think it's just once you're once you're in the weeds with it, DS9 is just so much more different than TNG. It's just like very much, you know, when when TNG went off the air, DS9 spoilers has an episode where they blow up a galaxy class starship as a kind of like statement of like, this is no longer TNG at this point. The the pilot has Cisco yelling at Picard, telling him basically to go screw. Yeah, (laughs) it's like, well, this is this is not your grandfather. This is literally not my grandfather's Star Trek that we're watching. So it's, it's interesting. And I. I like it. I miss DS9 the most, uh, specifically now because we're an enterprise and I miss everything that DS9 was bringing about it. But we're we're, we're sludging through the uh, the fourth season of Enterprise currently on our show. Yeah, it's um, I'm I am looking forward to here we are. Um, well, we're about halfway through the second season and uh, it's it's picking up. I mean, you know, we've discussed it on this show many times that because of when Enterprise was in production, it was kind of after the episodic era. But before the serialized stuff came back around with Lost and um, because it fell in the middle, it wasn't one or the other. But as it started, as it started to get towards those later seasons, season three and season four, you get these like little mini two and three episode arcs that um, ended up giving a little bit more richness to that to that show. And I think that really ended up working. And it's a shame that it ended only after only four, four seasons. But say, Levine, yeah, you could say it's a mercy killing. I'm. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be fairly, I'm fairly negative on Enterprise. Um, Enterprise to me is the the first Star Trek show that we've run into in the podcast. So keep in mind, I haven't watched Voyager and a lot of our listeners tell us like Voyager is the start of this problem. But uh, Enterprise is the first series that doesn't feel like it has a reason to exist. It doesn't feel like it has like an overriding ethos or idea of what this show is supposed to be about. It really feels like they were... This isn't the case, but it feels like they were like, we have this IP. We need to keep the contracts 
going. Like yeah. how when Sony had the Spider-Man license, they're like, we just need to make Spider-Man movies because we need to keep the license. Yeah, and That's kind of what Enterprise feels like to me. I don't think that throughout the entire run of Enterprise episodes, even through the third and fourth season where people claim that it gets better, the show never felt like it was run by people who care about the show, their mm. show particularly. It never felt like people who were like, excited to show up to work and to write about Star Trek and do something. It really felt like it was a job. And I think that once you read stuff like the oral history, um, I think Braga and Berman, Berman wasn't really involved, but Braga was just overworked and not interested in the show. I don't think, and it, it yeah. kind of shows in the end product, what came out of it. Yeah. I can imagine getting, I mean, you know, stick with anything, you know, long enough, you're liable to get burnt out for sure. Yeah. Of course, my wife, when I told her that uh, based on the timeline, it looked like I'd be doing this podcast for roughly 15 years. She's like, sure. yeah, yeah, we'll see. I was like, All right. <laughs> um, a lot of things that happen. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and just gotta, you just got to burn through these things. Do, do five a week and just get burnt out on it, but get the show done. Just like <laughs> the podcast will eventually be like, yeah, we're here. We watched this episode. It wasn't very good. See you next day. Uh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> I, that's that's when i move the podcast to tiktok and you know mm. my episodes become 30 seconds and that's about it yeah yeah get a million <laughs> views for 30 seconds worth of content and you're you're made, made in the shade of course of course so um so you mentioned that you had not uh that you weren't as familiar with enterprise um had you seen anything else in enterprise before this before this episode the finale you have seen the finale the, the finale is infamous and i know the finale yeah, uh, I think that's all I've watched. I, no, I'm sorry. That's that's a lie. Before the podcast, I had watched some of the first season and I don't remember when I stopped off, but I remember being very bored by it. And I stopped at some point and I'd seen oh the Borg episode in season two I'd seen. And is the cowboy episode? No, that's season three. I think I saw the cowboy North Star. I think I saw that in season three. Yeah, I think that's um, coming up in season three. Yeah. So, so just a smattering, nothing really strong. So, what about yourself? Are you familiar with it? Uh, wait, which one? Are you from? Are you familiar with Enterprise in general? Like, I can't remember. Yeah, I, I had, just. Uh, yeah, I had gone through. I, you know, much like my experience with TNG, I didn't come to Enterprise until late in the game. It was already uh, in syndication. I believe I used to watch it when I got home from work. I was working third shift, and it was on like first thing in the morning on Sci-Fi Channel. Sure. And so when I got home at like eight or nine in the morning, I would kind of wind down with with Star Trek Enterprise. And that was kind of my, uh, that was my NyQuil. That was my dose of NyQuil to help me go to sleep. <laughs> sure, yeah, fitting. So before we get into, um, before we get into the recap, I wanted to ask your opinion. There's one very important element of uh, Enterprise and I wanted to, I wanted you to weigh in on it. Sure. Thoughts about the theme song. Well, it was nice to go back to this second season and listen to the original theme song, which is marginally better than what they do in the third season, I think, where they change it. Um, yeah. <laughs> they make it less arena rocky and try to turn it into like a like a dispatchy era pop song later on. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's a terrible song, but I will say it's it's probably one of those things like if I were to go to one of these Star Trek cruises where a whole bunch of nerds get on a boat and ride around, um, I, I think that. I think that it would kill at karaoke night, right? Like oh, yeah. everyone's like five beers deep, whatever, five, sure. six beers deep. They're like, put on, you don't want to be the first guy who goes up there and does it too soon. You know, you want to like build the night towards this and you get to oh, yeah. it right. And the person who nails the timing of it and belts it out, I'm sure the crowd goes nuts, but it is a Stockholm Syndrome song. Like, Very much. It, it's terrible <laughs> until you watch 
however many episodes of Enterprise there are, and then you start singing along to it or whatever. But every time without fail, when I have to watch one for the show, my wife will come in and just say, this song is terrible. This is, <laughs> what a garbage song. I can't believe this song is the theme song to this show. And you kind of lose that after you watch it 500 times or whatever. But it, it is a terrible song. Well, well, folks, uh, that is that's you've you've heard it right here. Uh, that is 38. We are 38 for 38 episodes. Uh, everyone hates the, the theme song. I'd love to meet someone like I I don't I don't think there's anyone who can unironically like it. I, I think you can enjoy it for how cheesy it is and be yeah. like, yes, this is a really cheesy, stupid song. But I don't think I'd love to meet the person who's like, oh, it's a genuinely deep meaningful song that has right. instrumentation and really it's written by diane warren right it's like diane warren is a hit songwriter she writes i think so yeah hits. yeah yeah i mean sure. someone was just like because you can almost hear the pitch meeting it was like i've got the perfect song to go over and we're going to play images of like early nasa and like early you know some old ships and you know yep. different maps and stuff like that Oh, I like yeah. the visuals. The visuals are interesting. And the, I, I, yeah, the visuals actually work. I actually kind of dig that. It's a Patch Adams song, I think. I think Rod Stewart did the original version for Patch Adams or something. Yeah. And then yeah. this guy, this Rod Stewart, discount Rod Stewart came in and did this version of the song. Um, but the original idea is uh, they wanted to do U2's Beautiful Day, but it cost too much money. But I guess if you sync, if you watch the song with those visuals, it kind of works. I've done it and I don't think it really works all that well, but Beautiful Day is probably a better, it is definitely a better song. I don't know if that would be my ideal choice either. They should have just. I wonder if anybody's pieced that together in like on YouTube or somewhere. I don't think I found it. I think I had to play it. Oh, maybe they did. I can't remember. It was, it was a while ago. I just stick with Archer's theme. Archer's theme is fine. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, uh, we just had Kevin from in Star Trek, we trust on. And uh, he's a video, his nine to five, he's a video editor. So I may, I may hit him up with like, Hey, I hear that uh, it was actually supposed to be this and see if he can like put together a mock-up for me. Have him superimpose like uh, dramatic shots of um, Bono and the, the edge. <laughs> like, like just have him in the background being launched into space on the NASA challenger or something <laughs> like that. Just make it completely worthwhile watching. We'll throw some filters on and make him look green or blue right. and give him like antennas. We'll make him, we'll make him, we'll make him a, terrible, a terrible Photoshop, but make the color grading look excellent. So that it looks like he's exactly there and he's Andorian. <laughs> of course, of course. Well, folks, without further ado, let's get into this week's recap. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. UPN Wednesday, a mysterious spaceship is brought aboard Enterprise. We've attracted the attention of two hostile species. Unlocking its secrets has the power to change the course of history forever. This is the first chance we've had to get some answers. An all-new Enterprise that will leave you on the edge of your seat. The discovery of a derelict pod with a long-dead human pilot opens a mystery. Some of the crew speculate he's the first human to invent warp drive technology, Zephram Cochran, but a DNA profile reveals he's not. Trip and Reed examine the pod and discover that it's larger on the inside than the outside. It's bigger on the inside. Is it? I noticed. They also recover a device from the core, which still has a weak energy signature. Later, a Suliban ship arrives to claim salvage, but Archer refuses to give it up without an explanation. They open fire and beam in a boarding party. Sucks. But are finally repelled. Great. Undaunted, Enterprise then sets course to meet up with a Vulcan ship. Doc Flox's scans reveal the dead pilot has multi-generational DNA fragments from several alien species, including Vulcan, Torellian, 
and Rigelian. Everyone! Seeking answers, Archer and DePaul enter temporal agent Daniel's cabin, and they learn from his database that the pod is from... The future! Meanwhile... Tucker and Reed, on returning to the pod, get stuck in a time loop. Tucker and Reed, on returning to the pod, get stuck in a time loop. Tucker and Reed, on returning to the pod, get stuck... <laughs> Sorry about that. DePaul's concerns are heightened when she discusses the situation with Archer, who feels they must have more info on the temporal Cold War. Tholians arrive, demanding the pod and warning Enterprise of temporal radiation. Sucks! Again, Archer refuses, and they leave after he threatens to destroy it. The crew, reaching the rendezvous point, discover that the Tholians have disabled the Vulcan ship, and soon disable Enterprise as well. The Suliban arrive, and... Uh, there was a firefight! between them and the Tholians. The Tholians succeed, destroying the Suliban ships. Great! After working through another time loop, Archer and Reed booby-trap the pod and send it out into space, but the Tholians immediately disarm the device. Tucker then gets the temporal distress beacon to power up, and soon the future ship and its contents dematerialize. The Tholians leave, and Enterprise assists the Vulcan ship as Archer's way of thanking the Vulcan High Command for their support and help. I don't care! Okay, so here we see that um, clearly they were maybe stretched for an idea, so they watched some Doctor Who. <laughs> oh, yes, at the wait, I'm not a big fan of Doctor Who. Why does this make you? Why does this remind you of Doctor Who? So is there a TARDIS in there that I missed somewhere. Yeah, the TARDIS. Uh, you know, the Doctor's the Doctor's uh, ship that he travels around in is bigger on the inside, and as soon oh, as they say, sure. yeah, as soon as they say, well, "Oh man!" Like we opened this panel, and now we're you know fifteen feet down or whatever it is. It's just like okay, somebody was There's watching. Literally Doctor nothing Who. down here, but it's much bigger. We could yeah. walk further in here. There's still nothing down here. Exactly. That's typical Enterprise writing for you, actually. Yeah. yeah. I think that's kind of where Enterprise suffered a little bit. I've spoken before about the lack of diversity in the writer's room, which kind of gives most of the uh, most of the stories kind of one note. But uh, this sure. one, this one's all this one's almost painful. It's like, oh, really? We just say you're out of ideas and cut the season short. <laughs> What's interesting about the writing process, the talk in the oral history, is that um, Braga. This is Braga's. Uh, baby initially for the first couple of seasons and yeah his way of writing was interesting where he would have one-on-ones with the writers who would pitch ideas to him and after he'd approved of their idea he would do another one-on-one where he would sit in his office with that writer or those writers the two writers or whatever and they would outline things in the room so Bragg would sort of serve as the outliner and then he would pass off the script and they would come back with their draft or whatever this is fascinating because that literally feels like how enterprise exists as a show like when after you watch enterprise you go this is this show really feels like one dude just stretched for time needs to outline a whole bunch of stories and there's nothing really intriguing or interesting about any of them yeah. it's just it's very workmanlike and like obviously he was stressed and this wasn't the best way to do the work and stuff like that but the the series writing will change in the fourth season with a new showrunner and they'll do a different way of going about creating stories which lends it to a little bit of a more natural process but a lot of the monotony of early enterprise seems to me to be based around the way that he was running the writing room and it's just mm. he was burning himself out and it's like this is not resulting in interesting scripts because you're just doing the framework workmanship that you need to do to get an enterprise episode at the door yeah. and 
this is interesting. So what do you what do you generally think about this episode? We're talking about future tense. Yeah, <laughs> future tense. It's uh it's I mean, it's okay. I I actually enjoy the element of time travel, you know, regardless of how well it's explored. Um, I, I always find it fascinating. Uh, one of our frequent guests, Gary Horn, time travel is just nails on a chalkboard for him, mostly because he can't stand that people keep changing the rules of time travel and then they'll set rules and then break their own rules. And so sure. they, there's just no consistency there. And we've talked about, you know, time travel as a way of, uh, you know, the exploration of the self from within, you know, as we get older, we're traveling through time. And as we travel through time, we actually travel through space as yep. well. Um, so, it, I mean, I find it interesting, but it's just kind of super convenient. And I, this is where the writing comes in. It's super convenient that they just happen to have uh, temporal agent Daniels. They just happen to have his room sealed off that has a convenient encyclopedia of the future whenever they get into, you know, sticky situations like this. They promise not to look at it. Only in the most desperate of situations do you dare go into Daniel's room and look at his knowledge of the future. Exactly. Yeah, yeah this is, um, <laughs> well, first off, I'm glad that I didn't ask for this episode. I just kind of randomly got assigned it. And I, when you assigned it, I was like, ah, oh, I don't want to watch that episode. That episode's not good. <laughs> I'm actually... I'm actually fairly glad that I ended on this one because to me, this feels like um, this is almost a perfect example of an enterprise episode, I think. And I think that if someone were to ask me like, what is a good enterprise to watch to get a sense of the show? I think I might actually recommend this one. Um, it's got a lot going on because it is, it's like the seventh episode in the Temple Cold War arc at this point. So you've had six yeah. episodes prior of this, of like priming the pump for what the Temple Cold War is. Exactly. And the Temporal Cold War is such a beautiful example of where the show goes wrong because it is an idea that they never want to flesh out and they keep kicking the can down the road, hoping that eventually someone's going to come up with an idea of what the hell is this thing? Because we have no idea what it is. All we know is it's some kind of idea. Yeah. And the name sounds cool. Like that's that's where the idea came to like the Temporal Cold War. It sounds kind of awesome. I wonder what it is. I don't really know what it is, but it's just a name. And so we've had six episodes prior to this where we met daniels we get introduced to the concept of time travel yeah. they introduced to paul's thing that she doesn't believe in time travel even though she is exposed to time travel on a constant basis yep and <laughs> where you end up in is future tense which is an episode that is about the temple cold war but all it does is introduces ideas and concepts that it then does not have to explain because it doesn't know what it's doing with any of this stuff and it's going to use the excuse of being a episodic television show is an excuse to just jettison it at the end and say i don't know what that was that was weird yep. anyway on to the next thing and it's incredibly frustrating because it, it was an obvious from the very start that the temporal cold war was just an idea that they didn't know what it was supposed to be and every time a writer got assigned a script they're just like i'm just gonna kick it down the road like we'll it, we'll have a corpse from the future and he's got vulcan dna that, that's enough that'll be fine yeah and then I'll let you talk in a second. I'm sorry, I'm talking too long. No, 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 please. Yeah, go. Second half of the episode is the other Enterprise special, which is that it devolves into a chase sequence. Someone is chasing somebody. Yep. 95% of Enterprise episodes end with somebody chasing somebody. And <laughs> it gets really boring really quickly. And even though I didn't really mind this chase sequence in future tense because the Tholians and the Suluban are involved, it eventually pans out to meaning nothing. The stuff disappears. 
the Tholians go away and the characters themselves look at each other and say, why did they, why did they not blow us up? And they go, I don't know. And then the credits roll. And it's like, wow, Enterprise was doing this all the way from the start. And it's, it's really, if people are curious about Enterprise, I would recommend this one because this is virtually every Enterprise episode to me. Uh, like this is how the show is structured and how it chooses to write things. It doesn't actually examine what time travel is about. It doesn't take the idea that time travel is a, an examination of the self, which is that you're like able to look at a version of yourself in a different time and see how things might've been different, how things right. are the same. It's not an examination on like how things could have split across a schism of time and how there's like different universes and there's no terminator like you can set the future sort of aspect to it there's no there's no lesson to be learned from this time travel right. it's just a weird isn't that cool kind of thing and that that's <laughs> yeah. really it's really lame after a while after you watch so many episodes you're just like this is not very good yeah what do you think what do you think about the, <laughs> the temporal cold war in general well here's the thing as i kind of like that once you're done with enterprise and this, I mean, you know, we're, like I said, we're in the middle of season two, so we've got a ways to go. It's we've got a long road getting from there to here, but once you get to the end, looking back on it, you can kind of decide if you're going to rewatch, you can kind of decide what path you want to go down. Like, okay, I want to rewatch uh, enterprise, but I'm going to focus on, you know, the temporal cold war. Or I'm going to rewatch it and focus on the conflict between the Andorians and the Vulcans because I love Jeffrey Combs. I'm going to focus on Mayweather. I've only got three hours. And I'll, focus on, <laughs> I'll focus on Mayweather and get it done. Exactly. Um, there's different paths that you can take. And I think that's maybe the unintentional silver lining of this is, you know, once you've got all these things that, you know, none of them were really satisfying, but you can kind of narrow it down to these specific watch lists and take whichever route you choose you end up in the same place yeah but uh that's that's kind of the neat aspect of it and i just i just kind of wish that yeah may you know i enjoy the variety but part of me also wishes that they had just picked one and swung for the fences and i mean again this is back when 24 26 episodes in a season that's a lot of television to produce yeah nowadays we're seeing 10 episodes, 12 at most, maybe, maybe top out at 15. Yep. And there's still filler. There's, yeah. There's, there's, still, there's still the middle of those series that is, that is just filler uh, hours of television. But instead of getting six to eight episodes of filler, you get one or two, which is yep. fine. You know, yep. I would prefer a tighter, a tighter season. Now, again, you know, here we are talking about a show that's 20 years old, but uh, you know, I think that's why, I like the fact that you can structure your own enterprise watch list and, you know, it makes for a more personal experience, you know, once you've sat through the entire season, yeah. you, you know, or through the entire series rather. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not perfect. No show is no Star Trek show is perfect. I mean, yeah. lower decks is pretty close. <laughs> yeah. Lower, lower decks knows what it's, it's trying to be. It isn't yeah. trying to do anything different than that, which is the goal. I think. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so being that you've actually gone through some of enterprise, like what are your, if you, what are the overall, what's your overall, like in a nutshell thoughts on, on enterprise as a whole? Sure. I mean, it's actually kind of, it actually fits into the context of future tense as well, which is that what I think is interesting about the schism that happened in Star Trek is what happened along the DS9 and Voyager series, where uh, the two shows were kind of running simultaneously, and they were picking writers from TNG to 
seed into both of those shows. What's kind of fascinating about it is that DS9 seized all of the writers who are good at character storytelling, and Voyager seized all the high concept writers. It seems like Braga, Minoski, um, Jerry Ryan. Terry Ryan's a better character writer than that, but um, the DS9 crew took more, took Renee Echeverria, um, two of the better character writers of that one. It had Hans Baimler and things like that. And I think that it never recovered because Enterprise came from Voyager more than it came from DS9. And so what you have is a show that doesn't really know what to do with its characters. Um, like Mayweather is kind of a perfect example of that, where Mayweather's set up as a boomer character, like a space-born person, someone who's born in space. Yeah. And instead of seeing that as like a way to comment on something like Mayweather, the actor who plays Mayweather is black, instead of using it as a kind of like from prior history of the US where maybe there's some sort of racial thing that you can tie into this youthful developing federation world and you can use this boomer thing as a kind of like allegory for the african-american experience or something like that. you can tie it uh-huh. into like without saying like this guy doesn't like him because he's black you go these boomers there's boomers everywhere i don't want boomers in my my universe or whatever that's a better way to go the show never seizes on any kind of character beat with anybody i think this is probably the worst crew across all the seasons mostly because so many of them are underdeveloped and flat yeah where you have moments like it struck me as kind of odd because the show doesn't do it like that much. And in future tense, there's a scene where Reed and Trip have a conversation about whether or not they would want to know who they were going to get married to in the future. Like if the time travel came back and said, you get married to a lady named Mary and would, would Reed doesn't Reed does want to know that Trip doesn't want to know that the show actually rarely does scenes like that. It really does. Yeah. It's really not very focused on how characters are feeling or thinking about things. And when Enterprise actually fires on on cylinders, like Breaking the Ice in the first season is a really good episode. Oh, yeah. Um, the Forgotten is coming up in season three. It actually gets very small and it sits with the characters for a little bit. And it's almost melodramatic. It's almost like a CW production where characters are overly emotional and sort of like high school drama between them. And I sound like I'm being dismissive, but it actually really works for the show because the show should be a kind of teenaged version of humanity. It's a show that's um, trying to, this show is trying to show characters who are going to grow into what the Federation eventually becomes. So this is their awkward teenage phase. And so I like that silly kind of hyper-emotional, like the trip into Paul stuff. I like the, um, the read can't get married or whatever that stupid storyline is with him i like all the dumb stuff like that and future tense ignores most of that for what enterprise will generally do which is to introduce a cool concept and think that the concept is enough to carry a story and a concept is never enough to carry the story like you have to insert how the characters are going to react to that concept and that's what really makes things strong and TNG learned that eventually in the third season is when it started being like, well, the characters need to have something to say about this because if they don't, it's no good. Enterprise never seemed to learn that lesson. I think Future Tense is like a perfect example of that. It's the cons- it's the Braga thing of, and Braga Ray wrote great sci-fi. He wrote Cause and Effect, one of the best TNG episodes, which is, but it's a pure concept episode. Yeah. He ran out of concept gas by the time of Enterprise and just had stuff like this. And it's like, this is, this is not as good as it could be. Yeah, you know, and looking at things like uh, like Lost, where, you know, and, you know, people seem to have mixed opinions about that show as well. But Lost 
really kind of brought to the forefront the three main elements of storytelling. I'm sure you can weigh in on this is you get characters, plot, and story. A lot of people yeah. get confused about what plot and story is for the listeners. Plot is what happens. Story is why it happens. Yeah. So we've All got the, the modern Star Treks are a pure plot and no story. That's, that's yes. the problem with like Discovery and Picard is that they're plot driven shows and not story structures. Right. And I've always been of the mind that it's not the ship, it's the crew. So, uh, you know, with that in mind, like, what do you think the best ratio for characters, plot and story to make a above average episode or above average season or above average series of Star Trek? Sure. First, so for Star Trek, I think DS9 excels. DS9 found the best mix, I think, eventually, once it settled into things, um, where it's largely character-based. Story comes second, and then plot is sort of that lingering. Well, what's interesting about plot is it's kind of similar to it's kind of similar to canon in the in the ways that me and right. my podcast hosts look at it, which is that if you're if you have a great story, your plot can be weak. And it doesn't really impact how you feel about it. It's the same way with, with canon and continuity, in my mm -hmm. opinion. Yeah. If a great start, like if a modern Star Trek show came out and it completely contradicted everything we know about canon, but it was a great TV show, I'd say, I don't really care about the canon. Like this TV show is just crushing it. You know, it's working on all cylinders. Right. Canon and plot are things that only matter when there is no story and no character work, because you look at it at that point, you go like, well, this whole skeleton is broken. Like there's nothing really holding this up. And that's where I think it's a lot of where a lot of bad internet criticism comes from is that in our modern internet age, like a Twitter age or Instagram age, is that the audiences only really know how to pick apart plot. They, they know where plot problems come from. Right. But they don't really understand the influence of character or story or why in the service of a story, you can sometimes sacrifice plot to make no sense if it yeah. serves the purpose of story. And I think DS9 did that quite frequently. And I think that it works. And I don't think that people can remember those plot mistakes in the way that they remember the characters and the stories that actually landed with them. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. It's uh, it's such a delicate balance because I feel like a lot of people, and I'll use Lost again, you know, depends had, on the show too. Like every show is different. It's a different exactly. Mix, yeah, yeah. yeah, Lost had amazing characters and such rich plot. But by the by the time we got to the end, it was just like, oh, it's not it's not the destination. It's the journey. Really? Yeah. Did you get yeah. that out of a fortune cookie? Like, <laughs> well, that's the thing. If you if you become obsessed with plot, endings matter more than they should. You know what I mean? Like yeah. in a in a true series that's story and character based, you can botch the ending and it doesn't really matter, which is kind of why people give Game of Thrones a lot of crap because of the way that it ended. But my memory of looking back at Game of Thrones as someone who wasn't totally crazy about it, but I enjoyed it while I was on, it was like, I remember all the character moments. I don't really, I, I in the moment I was like, yeah, they're not really landing this last season. This is not working out the way that it's, it seems like they ran out of time. Right. But I don't, I don't look back a couple of years down the line only thinking of how Daenerys doesn't make any sense at the end. I think of all the stuff that led up to that. And right. that that's when the show, I think it's a good example of the show early in its run when it had energy and the showrunners and the writers were like dedicated to it and not feeling burnt out. It, it did 
settle with the characters and it sat with them for a long time. Yeah. And once they started realizing that the wall was coming up and they needed to write, it became a show that was plot based where characters have to cross huge amounts of distance quickly. They need to go here. They need to go there. Who cares what happens along the way? Just get them there, move the chess pieces. And at that point, that's when the internet critics come on and say, this is all bad now at this point. And it's not, it's not that the plot is bad. It's just that the plot's the only thing that's there and yeah. it's, it's weaker because of it. Well, on the the other show that I'm on, Cinema Shock, available now wherever you get your podcast, we have we just finished our uh, section covering The Matrix. We're we're in the middle of a Wachowskis series. Mm-hmm. We're covering all the Wachowski films, and we just finished uh, Matrix Reloaded Revolutions. And in looking at how those movies, the Matrix movies, were structured, Warner Brothers they had the money, but they had to be able to sell the idea. And you know, we talked about Will Smith sitting down with Wachowskis and getting this pitch that sounded like nothing. So it's no wonder he didn't say yes. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then for them to kind of get their act together on a pitch is when Warner brothers was like, okay, we'll cut you a check. But you know, cause the, the matrix was originally envisioned as a trilogy. So all of that stuff that made it into those movies uh, that was supposed to be there. Most of the stuff ended up getting forced into that first film. So sure. that first film was really heavy on... It's the one that's guaranteed to be made. You have to you have to put this stuff in the one that's guaranteed at this point. Exactly. They had a really, you know, chock full of action, but you had a lot of character moments and you also had a heady, a, a big amount of like heady philosophy. Yeah. And it was just the right mix so that when part two and part three came along, a lot of those things were gone because they, we'd already explored that in the first movie. And I feel like we got a couple of philosophical moments with a few characters, but most of the sequels are driven by plot yeah. and it, they're consequently weaker overall. It's a side effect of um, fleshing out universes too. Yeah. Like the first movie and something, it can just kind of like, if you go back and <clears throat> excuse me, if you go back and watch like the original new hope, What's remarkable about New Hope is that it's such a small story that gives you just a glimpse of a larger universe outside of it. Yep. But as the Star Wars, I'm not a huge Star Wars fan, but as Star Wars develops, like you have to start fleshing out that universe. And it seems to be one of those things that for people who really like their universes fleshed out, just go to a book. Like the books are always going to do it better. They're going to do that specific thing better. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but the movies have to try to keep pace. And at a certain point, it just becomes unwieldy because it's like you're trying to create this universe that the material isn't necessarily calling out for. You know, not everything needs to be Dune. Not everything needs to be Herbert's Dune and just like right. explain everything that's happening. Yeah. Some people really get off on that. But I think that for general better sense of telling a simple story, it's always better to leave that outer universe mysterious and just focus on the small thing at the the core of it and that's a better storytelling it works in star trek works in star wars too i think yeah absolutely so as we do with every episode we always ask the question who do we blame so this episode was written by mike sussman and phyllis strong their last episode that they wrote was season two episode 12 the catwalk and this writing team yeah they're they're solid they're a solid enterprise writing crew Yeah, and uh, this episode was directed by James Whitmore Jr. We discussed the first half of his career when we talked about his last episode, which was season one, episode 19, Acquisition, where we first see the the Ferengi, but we don't actually make first contact. We had that discussion of uh, first encounter versus first contact. Uh, But uh, after 
Mr. Whitmore's uh, work here on Enterprise, he, continu he continued to be a journeyman director. After his work on Enterprise, uh, he continued to work on many different TV shows like 24, Dawson's Creek, Cold Case, The Good Wife, uh, NCIS. He did 43 episodes, and he also did some uh, episodes of NCIS Los Angeles and NCIS New Orleans, where he once again directed Scott Bakula. In the guest stars, we've got Vaughn Armstrong again appearing as Admiral Forrest. And then we've got Cullen Douglas as a Suliban soldier. Uh, he's basically a day player. Uh, I love, you know, deep diving into character actors' resumes, but uh, his is extensive. Uh, he's got a lot of TV shows and a few film roles as well. After his debut in Living Proof, the Hank Williams Jr. story in 1983, he had a handful of smaller roles before he got a regular gig culminating in 29 episodes of something called Big Bag. And it looked like Sesame Street Light, basically. Um, he would go on to have a little over a dozen more roles before this, uh, his only appearance in the franchise so far. But since this episode of Enterprise, he's continued to steadily work in many crime and medical procedurals and even a few sitcoms. So in 29... When people ask him, he's like, you know... When I played unnamed Suleban soldier, that was the, the role of my career. I don't need, uh, oh, I don't yes. need a name. I went, when that guy who couldn't play Silic wasn't available, who, who played Silic wasn't available, and they called me to just take over this random character, greatest moment <laughs> of my career. Exactly. Uh, in 2019, Higgy Pop noted this episode as one of the time travel stories of the franchise. The review also compares the spacecraft they discovered to the TARDIS uh, of, the doc of Doctor Who. Noting the pod and the doctor's TARDIS are both bigger on the inside and available to travel across time. Jammer's reviews described the episode as hardly informative or conclusive, but pretty fun. And it added, this is a plot that doesn't supply much that's tangible in terms of the temporal Cold War storyline. It's more of a means to an end. The means being the storyline and the end being sci-fi action. And I think we've discussed that at length here. Uh, an ideal situation, of course, would probably have those particular elements of means and end reversed. Yep. Uh, in 2021, the Digital Fix said that Future Tense was one of the highlights of the season and noted how it connected the temporal Cold War story arc begun earlier in the series. Highlights of the season. What do you um? Are you that bar, that bar was that bar the was medium, well. medium level at best. <laughs> You'd have to give a, a decent little jog to get over the top of that one. But um, what do you think second season compares to the first season? Are you liking the second season better than the first season? I, yeah, I think I, I think just because I mean, I, I can't compare it now to, you know, watching it live when it was premiering back in 2003, 2004. But I think I am seeing some of the relationships starting to gel. And again, I'm more focused on the characters, I think. And and their personal journeys. And yeah. I think with all of that, I feel like some good things are down the road, uh, that long road that it takes to get from there to here. Um, to here. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I feel like this is a solid entry. Yeah, it's not the strongest entry, but we get to see them nudging to Paul a little bit closer and to her accepting of time travel. And I always find it funny that they chose Archer, who's little more than a pilot, to be their diplomatic representative of Earth. Show never takes advantage. It's the other 
The other problem with enterprise is that it never, in its lack of enthusiasm for what it was doing, um, again, if people aren't familiar, Braga will always tell a story about they wanted the first season to be on Earth. They wanted the first season to be a sort of, we're building the ship and we're going to meet all the characters and it's going to be uh, this kind of Earth-bound story. And then at the end of the season, we'll blast off into space. And his thing is always that the executives are like, no, it's a Star Trek show. You have to be in space right from the very start. We'll see how that goes. In my opinion, if, if that story is true, that's where Braga's enthusiasm completely disappeared because he was told he couldn't do the idea that he wanted to do. And it's like, well, if you're going to pay me, I'm just going to do the bare minimum. I'm going to do just enough to not get fired. And you guys are going to keep paying me. And that's what kind of enterprise came out of it. Yeah. But I, I think that the show never, ever takes advantage of its setting. The fact that it's a prequel is largely irrelevant to Enterprise. The only time it comes up is when they're like, well, these transporters are pretty scary. Huh? Let's not use the transport. Oh, we don't have shields. Well, let's, we don't have phasers. Let's get phasers halfway through the first season. Yeah. It's stuff like that. It, it, never, it never gets into a how the Earth and Vulcan relationship is on a, like a human to Vulcan level, like mm-hmm. where the, the sort of prejudices and the stuff that we're told Star Trek The Next Generation has grown out of by that point. We never see a Earth or a crew that has biases or prejudices that they're trying to work through. They never seem, seem to make mistakes that show this is how humanity learned to walk amongst the stars. If they do make mistakes, it always comes across as like Archer just being kind of an idiot who never learns from his mistake. He just makes the right choice at the end of right. the day for some reason. Right. And they had they had ample opportunity to take Archer and make him be a character who starts off as, as some of like a bumbling pilot nitwit. Not really, but he's like compared to the other captains. And by the end of the series, have him be a character who's grown tremendously and has learned a lot about himself. And the show doesn't do that. If you you were going to do a prequel, why are you not taking advantage of the prequel aspects of this? You have to show it. Yeah, exactly. I've I've said many times that I thought this show should have started with, uh, should have started on Earth. But if you're going to start in space, like let Archer be the helmsman and have Admiral Forrest as the captain. And then they get into a battle with whoever and Forrest dies. And now Archer. Did they steal your discovery pitch? Did the discovery writers hear this? And they're like, they may have, they may have. (laughs) I thought Forrest is a weird character because he's just a guy on a view screen. It's like, why is he not more? I also got big uh, because Archer's dad dies and it's kind of a running thread throughout the series. I always felt that him and Forrest should have more of a father-son relationship. Yeah, and there should be yeah. something like two there. Instead, he's just a boss who calls him up on the phone every once in a while and gives him yeah. a mission. Yeah. yeah, I think, yeah, I, I think this kind of goes towards our final thoughts was just like, there was so much potential for these character, uh, these character relationships and character building moments. And even, uh, you know, to iron out a couple of wrinkles with the temporal cold war and some of the other plots. The show had all the potential in the world, but I wonder if it was stifled by uh, Braga, who maybe got some flack or some resistance from the studio, or was everybody just burnt out at that time? Or did the, I, I don't know. I, I, it's it's disappointing, but it is our first chapter of the franchise. Like, yeah. this is it. <laughs> any, other, any other final thoughts before we uh, wrap it up? Yeah, for as negative as I've been on it, Future Tense in the context of Enterprise is a 
pretty average episode. Like we, we have a grading scale on our podcast of one to five. Oh, and yeah. I gave it a three the first time through, and I, I will give it a three again. It, it's like an, it's a very average episode of Star Trek, but Enterprise is the most average of the franchise shows. Mm. So it, it is like there are no standouts really in Enterprise. Very few, in my yeah. opinion. And this episode is actually a good example of its averageness. It's just it's very the concepts are cool. When you mm-hmm. start the first half of this episode, you think this is going to go somewhere. You're like the, the ship is huge on the inside. There's a frozen dead guy from the future who has all different kinds of DNA in it. Yeah. We're going to have some incredible, where's, get get that horrible character Daniels back here to explain some of this stuff. Daniels yeah. never shows up, but it's, you know, and then at the end, it just all fit, falls away. It all, it all ends up meaning nothing. And, you know, further down the line, none of this is going to matter. This, yeah. this dead body's not going to come back. The ending of this originally was supposed to be a time traveler appears and collects the body and the starship. And the characters like Archer are like, tell us who this guy is. Like, what is this all about? And the time traveler just like, you know, dramatically turns to him and says, he's me. So he's come back to like find his dead body and then bring it back or whatever. And it's just, it's it ultimately that adds nothing, which is a very enterprise. Like, it's just kind of a cool thing to happen. It doesn't mean anything. Yeah. But instead, you don't even get that at the end of this episode. You just get the Tholians, which is, you know, the show making a callback to TOS. And then you get the Sulaban shooting each other. And then the Vulcans are there for some reason. And yeah. that's the end of it. <laughs> and it's just a chase sequence. And it's it's really depressing. It's really not depressing. That's too grandiose a word. But it's, it's very deflating in the way that I find a lot of Enterprise episodes to be deflating by the end of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, next week we will be joined by Jerry Antimano from the four quadrants podcast for enterprise season two, episode 17, Canamar, which is available on Hulu. (laughs) My favorite Van Halen song is Canamar. They changed the lyrics on me. Oh, definitely. (laughs) Definitely going to use that. Definitely going to use that next week. Uh, and Canamar is available on Hulu, Amazon Prime, of course, on Paramount Plus. Wes, tell people about the Penske file, man. Let's let's dive in. Like, how did that start? It started as uh, an exercise in my bad brand awareness because it started as a YouTube thing, which is why it has such a strange name, because it was just a show that was on my YouTube channel that yeah. eventually became a podcast at some point. And at that point, I already had named it something. So it was, it, it, it was a long way of explaining why the name is so strange. Like, why is the Star Trek show called the Penske Podcast? Uh, that's why, because the YouTube channel is called the Penske File, and this is the podcast that's on it. Uh, but we started out doing Team G and TOS and everything. I had guests on, much like this show does. It was a random, not a random person, but a, like a new person or a recurring guest every once a week, and we talk about it. Eventually, in DS9, we settled down with uh, my buddy Clay, who became the full-time co-host at that point. Nice. I think we've developed a nice rapport. Um, the common thing that we, the common feedback that we get is that uh, people like our show for not looking at the series through rose tinted glasses or being endlessly negative about it. I think we take, we didn't really start out this way, but we take a very story focused approach to it. And we treat the series as if it was any other TV show that just happens to have a Star Trek brand on it. So we're not really concerned about canon. We're not really concerned about continuity. We don't like you know, we get comments and people are like, ah, you got the warp speed wrong in this episode. It's like irrelevant. Like the show to us is about breaking down um, how these shows work as storytelling devices and where they fail and where they falter against each other and where they actually work a lot of the time when they do work. Uh, but yeah, it's me and Clay talking about all these episodes. We're on Enterprise right now. We're about to be done with it. We're in the fourth season. We do story analysis. We try to have fun. 
make a few jokes and we have fun with the series and we, we enjoy doing it. So if you think that I've been too negative on this, I'm, not, I'm one of those uh, podcasts that just hates Star Trek. It's not true, but Enterprise is, Enterprise is a special series of Star Trek, I think. Yeah, it's it's the special little cousin that we just kind of patted on the head and go, oh. A lot of you. your previous guests have had the same thing. There are a lot of previous people on the, this podcast have said like, yeah, I don't really, I'm not crazy about Enterprise. This is not this is not the show for me. So I'm not alone. I just might be more uh, visceral with my hatred of it. Hatred I, you know what? Myself. Very thoughtful. Like I've I've found you to be very very thoughtful in your uh, in your thoughts and opinions about about Enterprise, and that that's what I love. Like some people come to it just like I don't know, I just don't like it, you know. But <laughs> But every now and then we'll, 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 you know, somebody will come on and be like, okay, I don't like it. And here's why. And that's right. wonderful. I, you know, and, and, you know, our conversation has stayed pretty much about Star Trek the whole time, but there's been episodes where we've talked about everything from roasting hot dogs to Disney Pixar films to anything and everything uh, under the sun. Well, let me, let me ask you then to tie it thematically into this episode. Yeah. If someone from the, you are married, yes. if someone from the future before you got married, told you that you're going to marry someone with your wife's name you don't have to say it now but like if you were to you had to do that would you want to know that or would you not want to know that well my wife's name is cat um short for Catherine, uh mm-hmm. also synonymous with katie um in looking she also back is a cat <laughs> she's literally a cat uh, but if you told if someone told me like you're gonna marry somebody named cat yep i'd be like well, there's 15 people in my life named Cass. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know what? Uh, I don't know. Are I, you, a, you a trip or are you a read character here? Would, ooh, you, would, you, would, good... you, would, you, would you say you don't want to know this person's name, who you're going to marry? Or you say, give me all the information, future guy. I guess the, the other example of this is, would you want to know when you die? If not how, but the date of when you will cease to be. I think I would want to know everything about my spouse. But I wouldn't want to know how I died. Even the date? If he just gave you a date and time, no. No, no, nothing about that. I just, uh, you know, because I feel like there's pressure to to live a a false life, you know? Yeah. I've got to cram everything in. Like, yeah, but you're not. There's two angles. There's there's pressure to know the end is coming. And then if he gives you, like, it's tomorrow at 7 a.m., you're like, oh. Oh no, <laughs> this, is, this is just not, I've spent my, I spent my, the last day of my life doing a Star Trek podcast. No offense. Like I'd be talking about myself at that point too, but I'd be like, I've, I've wasted, I've wasted all my time on this planet. Oh my God. I, wasted I don't think so I would want to know about my wife's. You wouldn't want to know? Well, would I? I don't really like Tripp's argument that the exploration is about not knowing. I, I like, I'm a, I'm a big fan of reading the plot of a movie before I watch it. I really don't care about spoilers in that sense. I kind of find it more enjoyable to know what's going to happen than I can judge the movie based on, Psych- on that. You psychopath. No, I'm just I'm not, I'm not <laughs> a lot of people get up in arms about spoilers, but my, my counter argument to spoilers is, do you not rewatch movies? Do you just watch a movie one time and go, yeah, I'm never going to watch that again. I know exactly how it, how it worked out. It's like spoilers are not that. Like people watch movies for the enjoyment of the story and the, the movie and the whatever you like the cinematography or whatever. Right. Um, I, I think the problem would be if your wife did have a very common name, not the cat's common, but your example was that, you know, a lot of cats. If, if, you know, if it gave me a very generic name, it's almost no help at all because you're like, I run into seven of these people every day. How am I supposed to know? 
I think I'd end up in a bad marriage, honestly, because I'd, I'd run into the first, I'd run into the first Suzanne or something and be like, well, it's got to be you. You have to be the one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, man. Um, well, thank you again for coming on the show. Uh, do you want to give everybody a place where they can bother you personally on the internet? Sure. Uh, if you want the podcast, go to thepenskypodcast.com. If you want to go to social media, uh, it's Penske File on Twitter. And the under slash Penske under slash file on Instagram, I think. Um, those are the two places that I post on social media anyway. But you can find the podcast, just search Penske Podcast anywhere, uh, and it'll all pop up. And I am at Mr. Todd A. Davis on all of the socials from all of us at the Computer Resume Podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you in 10 forward. subspace transmissions to computer resume podcast at gmail.com or at computer resume on facebook twitter and instagram the computer resume podcast was created and produced by mr todd a davis our logo was designed by will martin and justin bishop the opening theme was produced by justin bishop our outro music was provided with permission by drone node additional music was provided by mr todd a davis and gary horn and i'm cat davis at that dot darn dot cat with a k on Instagram, the Computer Resume Podcast is part of the Slice of Fried Gold Network. Hashtag LLAP. We'll see you next time. Going through a Star Trek. We're doing Star Trek stuff in space. We're probably got some phasers and shuttle pods. And we're going to find a brand new race. How's that for a slice of fried gold?